welcome to Spiritual Wanderlust, where we explore our interior life in search of the sacred. Many of us will travel the whole world to find ourselves, but here we'll follow those longings within to our spiritual and emotional landscapes. In each episode, we'll talk with inspiring guests, contemplative teachers, embodiment experts, neuropsychologists, and mystics. With a blend of ancient wisdom and modern science, along with a healthy dash of mischief, we'll deep dive into divine intimacy and what it means to be whole. I'm your host, Kelly Deutsch. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Spiritual Wanderlust podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Deutsch. And today I am excited to introduce you to a little known poet whose work deserves wide attention. I've been sharing her writings with all of my friends. She reminds me of a modern day Rumi or Hafiz. And if you haven't read them, Rumi or Hafiz, start there and then go pick up the work of our guest today, Shalan Harkin. Shalan has two goals in her life and in her writing that of bringing acceptance, belonging, and worth to all of our uncomfortable emotions that we've been taught to hate, and to make room for our hearts in a very heady world and allowing that heartful wisdom and truth and inspiration to flow. Shalan has a pretty wild publishing story filled with what she calls prayer experiments gone right. Her first two books are called Susceptible to Light and Let Us Dance, The Stumble and Whirl with the Beloved. Her third book, Wild Grace, is on the way. Today, we're going to read and discuss some of her poetry, talk about difficult emotions, and what all of that has to do with mysticism. So, Shalan, thank you for joining us. We're so glad to have you. Thank you so much, Kelly. It's a true pleasure and joy to be here. Yeah. Well, I've been excited to talk. First of all, not many of us have met mystic poets, let alone ones in the wisdom stream of Rumi and Hafiz. So, how is a mystic poet made? Like, how would you describe your spiritual background? Ooh, my poetic background, particularly. Sure. It's a, that's a good question. Well, and, and it gets at this question of what the heck does mysticism even mean, right? Mm -hmm. So, and maybe people have varying definitions, but for me, what it means is, is keeping my heart open and unclogged, so hmm. to speak with um and and in my experience the way that we keep our hearts clogged such that's not a very poetic word clogged it's got to be something better but it's visceral um, though <laughs> and you feel that word gross too is is we do that by i in my experience through re rejecting and repressing our 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 uncomfortable emotions that are really it's they're just energy that wants to flow and in my experience really actually teach us and nourish us and help us grow mm -hmm. with this wisdom and so a lot of my work has been reframing relationship with with those things to basically just keep keep channels open to receive the information that that wants to wants to flow through me so it's it has like a, a very humble actually uh quality to it and it's really special, though, because I find that really the more I'm able to accept just the 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 deep, the deepest, most, you know, embarrassing human humble struggles inside mm -hmm. of my heart, the more um, this, you know, what I guess I could call this wild grace 
flows and my poetry deepens and you know more insight is is given mm. so that is sort of in a nutshell my my life practice mm. yeah how, how would you describe that like is that a spiritual practice for you or how would you say it overlaps with your spirituality mm. yeah i would say it very much is my spirituality it, it, and i i i love thinking of spiritual practices as very, very holistic. Mm. And that, and I, I actually feel that it has to be <laughs> to really, to really work. And we can have kind of, if we have ideological concepts, or if we have, you know, perspectives about the world that really help our, our hearts open and help us be more honest and truthful, and that will, you know, benefit our mental, emotional health and all of that. And so, so yeah, I, I feel like that that really is a core piece of my of my spiritual life and practice. Mm, yes, mm -hmm. I love that. It's cool. I think it's so easy to. I mean, there's certainly a trend now to embrace our bodies and live in a more embodied way. But I think so many of us don't really know what that means. <laughs> you know, we're trying. We're like, okay, yoga, or maybe focus on my breathing or something. Yeah. But it's like embodiment is so much more than that. Like being able to embrace the whole of who you are, especially all of those sensations and emotions and reactions <laughs> and all of those things that come with it. That it beautifully. Yes. 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 I'm curious. It's it's one thing um to embrace i don't know like okay i have anger toward you mm -hmm. know how the political world is right now or you know something kind of on a grand scale but i'm wondering how you do that kind of in the nitty-gritty daily stuff you're you're a mother right you have two kids yeah yeah I do. what does that look like as a mom of two kids when it's like sometimes you have sleepless nights and sometimes kids are screaming and sometimes you're like oh my gosh i can't even handle this how, yep. how do you accept all the uncomfortable in the midst of that can you share an example oh i what a good question yeah <laughs> and of course you know often i don't and i just am an asshole to my kids and then you know and then i have to apologize and and tell them what was going on you know in me and why i acted that way hmm. but um but yeah really i feel like just being doing my best to come back because with any practice right we just the practices are the things we come back to it's not the things that we always are perfect at or constantly remember or constantly aligned with it's the things that we're committed to to just coming back to and so yeah actually and i feel like mothering uh this this relationship with my kids is also just it's a it's my primary you could say it's like my primary temple for my spiritual practice which is just trying to be um, humble and truthful with them about what's what um, my challenges not not in a way that's you know developmentally inappropriate for them but just say like oh you know, I really want to play with you right now. That means so much to me. I care about you, but I'm really struggling today with some sadness and I need a time to take care of my feelings. You want to just sit by me? <laughs> Things like that. But it's tough because it, that's kind of, I, I find it's confrontational for myself with my own models of how parents are supposed to be, which is we're supposed to know, <laughs> we're supposed to always have our, you know, shit together. And we're supposed to be, you know, it, it's, it's a power over model. So it, it's, it's, uh, it's sort of an experiment. It's this way that I'm trying to, trying to craft with my, my sweet kids, but it seems to, to work for the findings are pretty good. 
Yes. Um, so, yeah. I love that. I, um, so we have this um, woman mystic school going on this year. So I've been reading a lot of like female mystics and such. And I, I love how much mystics, particularly women, tend to turn spirituality on its head like that. Because cool. I think so often the, the images that we have, especially in more kind of male models of, of spirituality is this ascent upwards, you know, it's like the ladder of perfection climbing the mountain to divine union or, you know, whatever it is. And, totally. and I feel like so many of the women are like, no, <laughs> like, and I kind of wonder if it does have to do with like the fact how like messy we know that our bodies are. And so life is messy when you have kids, when you just like face the reality of the world, you're like, oh yes. yeah we're not going to look all perfect at the top of that mountain of, you know, divine union. We're going to look like a big, hot mess. <laughs> and that's, that's how we do it. And doesn't that feel better? Oh like, my gosh. It, it just be, if, you know, if I'm around someone who is like, you know, spiritually perfect or whatever, or on the top of the mountain and I'm far from the top of the mountain, I'm just going to feel probably bad about myself. But if I'm with someone who's just in a, loving you know open accepting space about the the human ongoing struggles along with the the beautiful human capacity to continue to understand new dimensions of self and love and mm. that just feels way more yeah <laughs> yeah more human and more yes. more yes. realistic you more, know more realistic exactly yes. yeah we're speaking the same language yeah yes yes so it's, it's unfortunate that so many that traditionally people think of mystics as like someone cast in more marble like on a pedestal somewhere you know like oh well that's that's for them you know yeah. and i feel like it's almost like projecting you know we talk about projecting our shadows but this is like projecting our light side you know like oh well if mother teresa was that good and i can just be like wow i mean the mother teresas of the world can do that but i mean clearly i could never be that yeah. heroic it's like yeah. it almost like you know is an excuse for us just to be mediocre or not have to shine that's so interesting that was a big um I, I, yeah absolutely and that was a big um kind of moment for me I realized I'd kind of made this hierarchy with, um, well, with poets in, mm. in mind and um, the value that they could offer to the world. And, and we can do that with classic poets like mm. Rumi. Does. And while they do deserve tremendous, you know, honor and celebration, it, I don't think that they, my feeling is that they wouldn't have wanted to, to mm. have hierarchy experience, uh, um, uh, uh, effect but to really just continue to crack open other hearts to and and po and and poetry to be able to um, do its best to be a kindred of theirs, you know. And I don't know. I think there's so many ways that we we make these hierarchies. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. And it's empowering to think as hell to dis do something to dismantle those. Anyway. Yes, I totally agree, and I think that's true of so many. I mean of any wisdom teacher worth their salt, you know? I mean, I was talking to somebody else the other day about, you know, they were like, Jesus wasn't about Jesus. He was about like pointing to divine union, you know? And so if we focus on, you know, just like and fixate or whether it's Rumi or Hafiz or whoever, you know, like if we're like, oh my gosh, I want to be like them. They're like, no, do, do what I do. Like do what I'm about, you know, not, it's not yeah. me. <laughs> 
Totally. Yeah. And there's, you know, and I, I find too, like, we really do ourselves a disservice when we reject these, yeah, these, the continual struggle of being a person because they're, they're really, when we can uh, be on a path to being in, you know, more accepting relationship with those parts, there's just amazing gifts too, mm-hmm. to receive. Mm-hmm. There. So it's not like, I don't know, there's this idea of transcendence, which I feel like is kind of a spiritual jargon for fleeing to some degree. Mm. Like it's just human emotions or human experiences that just, I don't, sure mm. don't be undone. And, um, but I feel like, I don't know, there's a, there's a limitation in, in that, pers- in that um, approach. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so I have like 16 questions oh. I want to ask you. Let's tell me first. So obviously Rumi and Hafiz are big influences for you. And I'm curious how you discovered them, what role they've played in your life, and also just the broader umbrella of Sufism. Is that something that's an important part of your world or how would you describe your relationship with it? Mm, thanks. Good question. So I, the truth is I know very, very little about Sufism. I'd love, I'd love to learn more, (laughs) but I was exposed to Hafez poetry in a therapy session actually Mm -hmm. when I was 17 and I felt uh, like therapy wasn't working for me, but I hadn't been exposed to other models that could do something to help me feel more, you know, comfortable in myself. And so I thought, I kind of thought their talk therapy was you know, that was it. And so I was feeling a lot of despair about my own forward movement. And my therapist read me a a Hafez poem and, and it was such an incredible moment in my life, really. It was like, uh, first of all, somehow this little poem was like this master key that just, Mm. albeit momentarily, unlocked all of these walls around my heart that had felt so complex and impassable. Hmm. And so it gave me this experience of, of a conscious experience of like, oh, okay, actually amidst all of these layers and complexes and whatnot, like, oh, here, here I am. Hmm. So like, there was a moment of that, which was so healing, but, but also there was like this, wah, 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 wah. I, whatever that poem is, I didn't know, I wasn't even familiar with the the word mystic but just whatever that poem was, whatever that carried, like, this is what I meant. This is, it was a destiny, it was like a destiny moment, mm. what I'm meant to to do. So it, that was a really, really powerful experience. And then, yeah, Hafez primarily, the poetry of Hafez rendered by Daniel Ladinsky really helped me craft, or it, not even craft, it really just unlocked the possibility of a, a, of a new relationship with with God. And there's so many implications to that when we can think of God um, or just the universe or whatever we give authority to as something that can be loving and intimate and close and accept like unconditionally accepting and loving and joyful. Yes. A lot of things on its head. And so um, that really helped inspire me down that, down that. Can I ask you to read your poem, Eccentric God? I feel like that's like a perfect, (laughs) perfect moment for, for that poem. Oh my gosh. Okay. Here we go. If you think the eccentric God who made the octopus is going to judge you for your sins, I'm afraid you've missed the mark. If you think this wild God that spins galaxies as a pastime 
cares to get fussy about your mistakes, or has ever made anything that wasn't born perfect and luminous, you might need to repent. If you can't yet admit how lovable and infinitely worthy the fullness of your human nature is, and if you think God wants to do anything but perpetually pour an abundance of love gifts upon you, well, my dear, your soul just might need to go to confession. <laughs> I love that one. Thank you. Thank yes. You. And I, I think that's so just appropriate for this theme of, of recognizing how much more vast the divine is than our preconceived notions or even just what yes. we've been taught, you know, whether in Sunday school or just in the common culture of this kind of Zeus like God in the sky, yes. you know, and we're like, yes. well, let's let's leave him to the Greeks, you know, like there's actually there's something so much more profound. And what really needs transformation is not not so much like all of these like imperfections that we sometimes obsess over, but our image of God and um, how tender and intimate he is. Yes, absolutely. Was that a transformation that happened for you? Or, you know, was God always a fairly loving image for you? Well, so I grew up in the Baha'i faith. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but there's, there's, a, the Baha there's a lot of just kind of, there's a lot of just beautiful perspective about the divine. But nonetheless, we still get baggaged with kind of yeah like you said like common cultural paradigms mm -hmm. uh, about mm -hmm. god and so i really felt loaded with those actually and and i, I had a really profound experience though um at age 21 i i went i did a baha'i pilgrimage i was by myself i went to israel and went to all these the holy places and at the, the toward the end of this nine-day pilgrimage we went to baha'u'llah who's the founder of the baha'i faith we went to his prison cell he was in prison for like 40 years or something. And um, I had this strange desire in my heart to be in that space alone. And mm -hmm. I, I was kind of perplexed by that desire. And I was in a group of about 40 people and, and we would enter these spaces and we, we would have time to pray and meditate. And some people in the group would just like pray for or meditate for like an hour and a half. They were, and I, I didn't have that attention span. So I thought, okay, there's no way I'm going to get this but, um, but I had this desire in my heart and just had this very profound and strange and wild um, and transformational experience in that space. We all sat down and I closed my eyes and um, heard no commotion or no sounds or anything. And it just felt like I'd closed my eyes for seconds, but I opened my eyes and everyone had left this prison cell and the door was closed. And I was, and it, this, it's like right on the sea and it was this thrashing stormy day. And I was in this place of really feeling like I desperately needed a breakthrough and kind of authentic connection with myself or with God or with all things, you know. And, and I sort of looked around and sort of took stock of like, wow, this is kind of wild. And I was just sort of, the only way to describe it is not like I heard a voice, but it was more like I was filled with a voice. It was like louder and clearer than you know any voice I could have heard like every cell was resonating with this voice that, that said let us dance mm. and um and it was this you know poetry has this quality of like it can just sort of it's kind of can be like energy work and it can just mm. unlock understanding and unlock 
old blocks and, and allow things to flow again. And that was just precisely what I needed. And I, I took it as this message from the divine, like, let, let us dance, let us have a dynamic, authentic relationship. Let this be a stumble and a whirl. Just be you in all of yourself. And I just had this profound catharsis and this, then this found bliss. And I also, similarly to when I encountered Hafez poetry for the first time, I had this absolute knowing that I would uh, write a book one day called Let Us Dance. Hmm. Yeah. And it was like that experience really unlocked this creative magic. And then uh, really almost as soon as I returned home, um, not more than a week later, uh, poetry just started to to pour through me. Hmm. And it went from this process of like struggling to craft a poem and kind of being, I don't know, stressed and tense about it to just like, boom, um, opening wide and just really having to write fast, as fast as it would, as it would come through. So anyway, that was a really powerful moment and experience wow. in my life. And that felt like the beginning of this journey of um, both accessing and expressing a much more uh, authentic way. Hmm. So between that time of kind of this unlocking and unleashing moment, mm -hmm. what happened between that and your book being published? I mean, was it a long and lengthy process or what did that look like? Yeah, good question. It was, it was about 11 years. And so I had all of this poetry just flowing and I, I had so much trust in it. I had this strange, mm. much, like trust that just the words were just as they were supposed to be in it. I don't know. It just, there was a, a rightness to it that I really, I didn't experience that in any other area of my life. Yeah. And I felt incredible mm. confidence in this poetry and and, and, and it was my most powerful connection with the beyond. Mm. It was very, it's still very mysterious mm. uh, to me how it works. But, um, but I was still very, I had all still all these hangups about how other people would receive it. Mm. And I was really insecure about that because it was so precious to me. Uh, I was, I was afraid of rejection and criticism and whatever. Um, and from others and that somehow this thing, yeah, that was most important, most primary, most essential, most beautiful, somehow wouldn't translate or whatever. So I really, really kept it quite small. I would share my poems on online, you know, to my, basically my mom and three of her friends or whatever would, were my gung-ho supporters. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then in 2020, really, well, I, I I connected actually with a dear friend, like a, a very important person in my life uh, for some reason. Like, and he he is Sufi, and he just he and I have this way of um, when we when we connect, there's just there's this incredible hmm. so just unlocking of of essence and joy. Like, I have that with him, like like I've never experienced with with another. And he just reached out to me and we just had some exchanges and it just activated this place of light inside of myself. And I had also, I'd been really creatively um, uninspired more than, than ever since this process had opened. And I just was kind of like, oh, mm -hmm. this place of something's got to change and I'm not sure what that is. And, uh, and um, I just had a baby and was like postpartum and it was 2020, you know, all of these things. 
all of these things, both that had gotten me so uncomfortable that I was ready for a change. And then just connection with this dear friend, I don't know, it was like just the spark that I needed to kind of light this, this like dry tinderbox. Mm. And, and it, and he's also just deeply encouraged my, my poetry. And, um, so it was kind of like this, oh, okay. You know, what the hell? Like it, it became very clear. It's time to, to move forward, um, publishing his book. Yeah. Yes. And I, I understand there was, um, a, a connection with another big Hafiz fan slash translator. <laughs> Can you share a bit of that story and how that came about? Most definitely. Daniel Ladinsky. So yeah, so he, Daniel Ladinsky has done renderings of Hafez poetry. So he doesn't actually translate them. They're not d direct translations, but he's, you know, inspired by Hafez poetry and he's an amazing poet in his own right. And he, he's done a lot to really make Hafez like a superstar to the Western world. Anyway, so when I decided, okay, I'm going to publish my poetry, I had no connections in the marketing world. I, I had one friend who had successfully published or a distant acquaintance really, who had published some books, but I, I had almost no contacts. <laughs> so I was just, anyway, so I, I bought a couple of Daniel's, Daniel Hafez books because the format, I remember the formatting was really pretty. So I thought I'm just going to, you know, use something similar to that. So I bought his books and opened them up and just had this really strangely powerful urge or impulse really to um, do a prayer experiment, which is, you know, we get all kinds of thoughts all the time. And so many of them we just don't listen to, or we just totally ignore, or at least I do. And, uh, but this like, I couldn't let it go. And the, the prayer experiment was to go on a nightly uh, walk and just chat with my favorite dead poet, Hafez, and ask for, <laughs> first of all, just ask for inspiration. Hmm. And so I did that. I did that every night. And, um, and, and poetry started flowing in such a tor torrential way wow. that it's, started to be um, almost an inconvenience to my life. <laughs> like I had, I had committed to just really honoring, like when it felt like the muse was pouring to really like prioritize that. And I mean, it was coming so fast and furious, it was absurd. So about a third of these books or of these poems in this book came through in, in these three weeks before publication. And it was so nuts, Kelly, that then I thought, okay, something's happening here. Yeah. Um, now I'm going to ask my favorite dead poet for marketing help because <laughs> I don't have, I don't have any of that in this world yet. Yeah. And why not give it a try? And so I, I thought, you know, I don't want Hefez to feel overloaded. So let's get him a team. So I asked Khalil Gibran to join the team, a, a few other, you know, favorite dead authors. And, and I just would go on these wacky prayer walks and just say like, Hey, you all uh, don't know if prayer works, but doesn't hurt to ask would you just like tap all the, the people in the spirit world who have any kind of marketing know-how and also just like tap everyone, everyone in this plane too, who can support me. I just deeply with all my heart want this book to, to, to go out there and to be received mm. widely in the name of love and truth and liberation and, and, and joy. And it was just such a genuine prayer and mm. uh, so fun to say. And I felt, yeah, half, half just kind of, kooky saying it but 
you know, whatever. And so anyway, so then three weeks though, into this publishing journey, I get an email in my inbox from Daniel Ladinsky. <laughs> like what? <laughs> Out of nowhere saying, Shalane, hi, I don't know if you know who I am, but I'm Daniel Ladinsky. And, um, and he said, in this fangirling, <laughs> I was, you have no freaking idea. <laughs> and um and he said yeah i found your book congratulations and it's he said it's actually weird that i reached out to you shalane because i'm kind of a reclusive poet and i rarely reach out to anybody but felt felt the nudge and um so i just responded to him in the most unfiltered way just oh my effing god are you serious daniel and i just told him the whole story the whole story like i sent it to him unedited i was so it was the most surreal experience really from someone who had i mean truly had no like no almost no poetic exposure before this my primary po poetic inspiration who i'd been like i'd been praying to our shared muse like it was nuts and um and then Daniel wrote back to me and said, uh, okay, well, that's clearly why I reached out to you. And he said, and he said, I've never suggested this either with someone that I haven't known quite well, but I think you and I should wade into co-publishing a book together. Oh my. <laughs> oh my God. And that was just the most insane moment of my life. And yeah. Wow. And then he wrote the foreword for my first book and has just endorsed me with his incredible poetic praise to the major publishing houses of the world and I mean it's just been crazy it's been un un unbelievable that's remarkable that but, I'm, but I'm also so glad because there's such great I don't know just rich tidbits you know hidden in in every poem you know and so I I really do hope that it <laughs> finds a very wide audience thank um, you Thank you. Do you. I'm sure this is a difficult question, but do you have a current favorite poem? Ooh, well, there are two that are particularly meaningful to me. I okay. don't know that I could choose between them. Okay. Um, the first, can I just give yeah, you a mini story about both? So the first is called Say Wow. Okay. And this is the poem that was my first poem that just poured through me hmm. after the experience in Israel. And um, it feels like a first love. And um, and it also, I had another kind of ex self-experiment that I, that I did before this poem came through. And it was to allow myself to write a bad poem every day mm. for three days. And I just said, I'm gonna give myself an hour. I'm just gonna let come what comes and I'm gonna share it. And, and giving myself that permission, kind of like integrating my self-judgments into my process rather than just resisting them and mm. figuring that I would write a bad poem was also, I think, a big piece in this, this unlocking. So maybe I'll, I, would you like to hear it? Can yes, I read please. So this is, I wrote this when I was 21 and it changed in a lasting way, my whole expressive, poetic, expressive paradigm. Yeah. <sighs> Say, wow. Each day, before our surroundings become flat with familiarity and the shapes of our lives click into place, dimensionless and average as Tetris cubes. Before hunger knocks from our bellies like a cantankerous old man and the duties of the day stack up like dishes and the architecture of our basic needs commissions all thought 
to construct the four-door sedan of safety. Before gravity clings to our skin like a cumbersome parasite and the colored dust of dreams sweeps itself obscure in the vacuum of reason. Each morning, before we wrestle the world and our heart into, into the shape of our brain, look around and say, wow. Feed yourself fire, scoop up the day entire like a planet-sized bouquet of marvel sent by the universe directly into your arms and say, wow. Break yourself down into the basic components of primitive awe and let the crescendo of each moment carbonate every capillary and say, wow. Yes, before our poems become calloused with revision, let them shriek off the page of spontaneity. And before our metaphors get too regular, let the sun stay, a conflagration of homing pigeons that fights through fire each day to find us. Mmm, yummy. <laughs> That's wonderful. Thank I love, I like, I feel that in my bones, like feed yourself fire. <laughs> I love that. Oh, thank it made you. Made me think of um. I don't know if you've ever heard the the story. There's um, uh, a little tale told of one of the desert fathers, those early hermits in um, the first few centuries, and um someone went to this like holy hermit you know and was like i'm doing you know my spiritual practices i'm fasting i'm doing all of these disciplines you know like what what else must i do you know in order to achieve like the heights of you know spiritual union yeah. and apparently this this abba this desert father turned to him and his hands turned into 10 living flames and he's like you must become all fire <laughs> i was like yes <laughs> this is like the best ever you know but that that image of just like i don't know it's it's desire it's longing it's passion it's it's eros you know is really what i think that kind of divine energy is and i, I love i oh. love how well you express it thank you so much kelly you, yes thank you yes absolutely i'm curious like these poems have so much like richness and depth to them where does does do you have particular points of inspiration in life or is it literally just like it's pouring through me and i'm just taking notes yeah it's pretty much that that's remarkable it's pretty much that i it, yeah it really is pretty much that but it's not yeah and it, and again though it doesn't feel like it's just it's random like the 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 my main work i, I suppose as a poet it's not it's not the traditional, you know, I'm going to sit down at this time. I'm going to just make something happen, even if I'm not inspired. It's it's really away from the the writing. And it, it is just, it's it's just this deep kind of uh, emotional, energetic work of, of, of acceptance and then and moving energy through and, and finding that, yeah, the energy just has somehow inspiration and information within it, which is amazing. Mm. And, um, and then it just sort of comes when it comes, when it does, it sort of feels like a, a wild river. Mm. Yeah. I was going to yeah. say, do you, do you go through dry spells? Are there times where you're like, I just can't write? Y yeah. Um, well, yes, definitely. So before, before this 
publishing breakthrough, like I said, that was really two years of just, a, it was a drought. It was a creative drought and it was so, God, it was uncomfortable. But the truth is since, since I published these books, it's been such, oops, there we go. <laughs> it's been such an ongoing process of inner, it's been a transformational journey. Absolutely. So I, I feel like inspired my theory is that, yeah, inspiration and, and really just change and, and growth are kind of like, there's a friction almost maybe in growth or there's an openness really in growth that it creates an inner environment that can kind of invite inspiration. So it has, it's, it, I feel that actually it's just been really full on uh, in these last almost two years now um, because of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What a gift. <laughs> it's been a real, it's been an incredible gift. It's a yeah. real honor and gift. Yep. How have you grown and changed personally as a result of this experience? Oh, such a good question. Well, so I, I said that I, um, I was afraid to share my poetry with people in a pretty big way, uh, for 11 years. And I, and I was, um, I just felt a lot more safe hiding this this most kind of precious and true part of myself. And really that had been a lifelong a lifelong pattern mm-hmm. as someone so growing up in the Baha'i faith in a small town mostly Christian, I just felt I felt super weird and I mm-hmm. had a kind of a interesting combo of both real love and gratitude for all that I had received from being exposed to, you know, the, the Baha'i teachings and the Baha'i community, but also I was just super ashamed to mm. be weird and different. And, and then also just as a very, just a highly sensitive person, but also with like a powerful, keen sense of perception, a powerful mm. like, sense of truth and voice. Like I already kind of felt like a, an outsider on those levels. And so I just had this way of, um, well, I mean, at a, the most primary level, I I had a pattern of really repressing my my truth and mm. my voice, and I was afraid that it would be somehow confrontational to society's comforts or my family's comforts or whatever. And so I, I was afraid that it was a liability more than an asset. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so it actually, so bringing forth these books, it was it was so much more than just. I just published my books. It was so much more than that. It was really like the biggest self-claiming of, of my life and the biggest risk and experiment of um, of my life. It was like a, I don't know, it was like a major mystical coming out ex- experience. Like yeah. it was an experience of really being seen um, in these mm. ways never allowed before. And so it, it changed, it's changed everything. It's, uh, and I found... I feel like I'm really fi- have found and I'm finding my my tribe in these in yes. the most, people that really resonate are having such deeper and more meaningful connections. Yeah, and and because this was such a foundational part of myself, there's just no way to bring that up and forward and out without every other structure hmm. rearranging and, and, and releasing. So yeah, I, I feel that truly everything has changed. And I've also really aligned with, um, 
you know what I what I feel I'm most here to give mm. the world and and my sacred service. And um, and before that, I felt pretty disoriented and dissatisfied about really a sense of a sense of purpose. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yes, it's, it's interesting how many. I feel like a lot of our listeners have either gone through or are potentially scared of their own spiritual coming out. We have a lot of folks who grew up in like a more, you know, fundamentalist form of like Christianity or something, you know, that was very kind of rigid in some ways. And when you discover this, this field, you know, sometimes I like to talk about it as Rumi's field, you know, like out in that field beyond right and wrong. <laughs> like. I'll meet oh, you there, you know, and when, when we hang out there, like everybody else who's, you know, still within the paddock and their nice, comfortable fences, I mean, that's, that's somehow threatening to them that they feel like it's dangerous, yes. you know, and you're like, but it's so spacious out here and really kind of exciting. <laughs> like, and when you can fully embrace it and find other people out there, like you said, find a tribe. Oh man. Oh. That's like the most thrilling thing in the world. I mean, most of the time we just feel really alone because all of a sudden you're on the outside of that fence. You're like, what have I done? (laughs) Oh, you said it. Yes. 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 It's the most thrilling, wonderful, wonderful gift to, to, well, to move beyond those confines and, and like you said, see that it's okay out here. It's not only okay, it's so much better. It's so much more comfortable and wonderful and spacious. Mm-hmm. And then find others who can resonate with you there is, is so it's just the most beautiful thing. Yes, it really is. I love how much it's um, the space is just blossoming and how many people are finding these these different wisdom yeah. traditions. Same. Yes. Same. If you had to speak to, let's say, your 20 year old self. Mm you know, before this kind of opening happened in like Israel and the pilgrimage and all of that, what what kind of advice do you think you'd give her? Oh, I would absolutely affirm her, my, my, my power and gifts in my, mm-hmm. in my sensitivity and um, what essential medicine mm. is there. And I would affirm how hard it is to navigate mm. the world as a sensitive person mm-hmm. and, um, and how brave that mm-hmm. is. And I would, but yeah, I would, I would affirm that more, more than, more than anything. Mm. Yeah. Yes. And I would tell her that the root of all be, of all behaviors that we can judge ourselves for that feel limited and, you know, are the, the, the root of all these whatever dysfunctional behaviors that we can get up to. There's innocence at the root of all mm-hmm. of these. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's interesting. I just resonate with, with both of those because I feel like two major life lessons for me we're learning about what it means to be a highly sensitive person and to have like a sensitive nervous system and 
just what that means for your own your own body your experience in the world your expectations of other people you know like trying to you know having like vulnerability hangovers like trying to share with somebody who just you know isn't able to receive on the level of depth that i'm so hungry for you know like that whole thing oh um, exactly yeah yes so like that whole world has been incredibly helpful and then also just everything in like psychological emotional maturity and learning what what trauma is and all of our, our inner world, our parts that are trying so desperately just to help us, you know? Right? Um, oh yeah, my. you know, it's like, don't, don't demonize that. That's, That's it's trying to help. So it's, it might be done in a really imperfect way, but <laughs> there's Absolutely. something good happening under there. Exactly. Yes, yeah. yes, so I, completely understand and resonate um yes. with a lot of a lot of that life wisdom thank yeah. you yeah wonderful well we have just a couple of minutes left is there anything any bits of wisdom or pieces that you that we haven't talked about yet or any poems that you would like to share with our audience well, I would love to share a poem and then also just quickly rattle off a couple of upcoming things that I'm yes. so excited about. So, well, so Daniel Ladinsky and I are collaborating on a book. <laughs> it's this adorable, playful, sweet book. It's going to be called Two Zucchini Dancing. And it's a book of haiku, sweet haiku from the kitchen. And it's illustrated and it's, and there's going to be a couple of recipes of mine and Daniel's in this book. And it is going to be so sweet so that looks that. also um, i just uh, in a few days really it'll release this incredible beautiful book with this extraordinary sacred collage artist and she's taken snippets of my poetry that she was inspired by and just creates these really ethereal exquisite almost like mandala collages with them that mm. just rock my world so that's it's called taste the sky mm. and that will be available soon also, you can buy my books if you'd like to, Susceptible to Light and Let Us Dance, The Stumble and Whirl with the Beloved on Amazon, or you can get signed copies from my local Wacoma bookstore. And I would love I love to stay connected with people. If this spoke to you, you can find me on Facebook, a following, you just click follow and then we'll stay connected. That would be such a joy. And what there's actually one more book that's coming out too. <laughs> I'm hosting this um, really special poetry space with asp uh, aspiring uh, poets who want who want to learn about the publishing process, and it's a ten week course, and we I just it's all about encouragement of the of their poetry, and then walking them through every step of the publishing and marketing process, mm. and then we work together at the end and I market it to my audience and they get all this exposure and it's been magical. So that will be called bouquet of stars and that's coming soon too. So check that out. And then can I end with a poem, Kelly? Please, I would love that. that. Thank you so much. This has been such a, such a joy. I don't want it to end. I agree. <laughs> I feel like we're just getting started here, Kelly. So this poem is called the worst thing. And this one I, put out on Facebook maybe a day before I published this book and um, really hesitated to, to publish it because it makes assertions about God. And I kind of wondered, do I have that the right to do that? But this went quite viral and has been the source that has, has opened so many doors. So mm. the worst thing, the worst thing we ever did was put God in the sky out of reach. 
pulling the divinity from the leaf, sifting out the holy from our bones, insisting God isn't bursting dazzlement through everything we've made a hard commitment to see as ordinary, stripping the sacred from everywhere to put in a cloud man elsewhere, crying closeness from your heart. The worst thing we ever did was take the dance and the song out of prayer, made it sit up straight and cross its legs, removed it of rejoicing, wiped clean its hip sway, its questions, its ecstatic yowl, its tears. The worst thing we ever did is pretend God isn't the easiest thing in this universe, available to every soul in every breath. Mm. Marvelous. Thank I, you. I fully support this vision of the world with the sacred in everything. Mm -hmm. And I don't think anyone could have put it quite so poetically. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. That was marvelous. And I hope that we can all recover that sense of not just this like reverential sacred, but the, the mischievous sacred that winks at us from all things. Yes. Oh, hallelujah to that. Yes. Thank you so much, Kelly. Yes. Thank you, Shalane. This was delightful. Yes. I everyone listening please do check out shalan's work either on facebook or you can check out her website it's just shalanharkin.com right yeah there's a new website coming in a few days but for now yep shalan okay. yep thank you thank Marvelous. you so much such a pleasure absolutely and thank you everyone for listening and joining us today yeah. thank you take care